This episode has strong language that's not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. They get on my nerves to wonder who is calling oh so late. It's my supervisor, want me to come in around eight. It's my supervisor. Don't he know? You just got off at five this morning. This ain't cool. No, it ain't cool. Get on my nerves, and now my brother is coming into town. Later on this evening, and he brought E and J, but he drinking all my crown. I don't like it. Tell me, what am I gonna do? I hid my food, but he found that too. They get on my nerves when I go to pump gas, and then I see the prize. They get on my nerves when they go to sleep. Don't turn out the light They get on my nerves When morning service Don't let out till 2 They get on my Coming at you live in the Durag Dungeon, I'm your host, That Boy Coop, back with another regular-ass episode of the Carolina Kid Podcast Rewired. This episode is brought to you by Dookie Flies and Black Ice Trees. Subscribe to the Rash Intelligence anywhere podcasts are downloaded. Following the Rod and Karen Dotcher, leave a nice five-star review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, and I'll read it on the show. Leave an email on carolinakidpodcastrewired at gmail.com. Also, leave me a voice message and donate on anchor.fm slash datboycoop. Hey, man. Before I even go any further here, we have a voicemail on here. We have a voicemail, and I will play it on the air. So um, I will be right back after this voicemail message. Boom. Hi, Coots. This is Nikki PDB, also known as Nikki Venus from the Venus in September podcast. I just wanted to stop by and let you know that I am thoroughly enjoying your podcast. You are very comical yet insightful. I look forward to listening to your podcast every week. Um, just wanted to say keep up the good work and happy Thanksgiving. Hey, perfect timing. So that's Nikki and um, <laughs> uh, we actually just recorded an episode together. It was released Sunday on her podcast, Venus in September by Nikki Venus. And um, we talk about a relationship that we've been in for almost a year. As of December 3rd, we will be in a relationship for a year. And it's been a wonderful year. 
um, please go listen to that podcast. It will be in the show notes if you want to look further. So, I have sad news, and y'all niggas like, stop talking about niggas dying. I'm sorry. Niggas be dying every day, every day B. Niggas die every day, B. <laughs> I don't know what to do. First black artistic director of Louis Vuitton menswear, Virgil Abloh, dies at 41 years old. The Off-White Founders family announced his death after a two-year battle with a rare form of cancer. So this is like a Chadwick Boseman type of situation, right? Like, he didn't tell anybody. He had cancer for like two years. A statement was posted to Abloh's Instagram page reporting the tragic news, stating that the Off-White Founder chose to handle his diagnosis of cardiac angiosarcoma, a tumor impacting the blood flow to and from the heart privately after initially finding out in 2019. We are devastated to announce the passing of our beloved Virgil Abloh, a fiercely devoted father, husband, son, brother, and friend, the IG Post read. He is survived by his loving wife, Shannon Abloh, his children, Low Abloh and Gray Abloh, his sister, Edwina Abloh, and his parents, Nee and Eunice Abloh, and numerous dear friends and colleagues. The post continued with words from his wife saying he often said, everything I do is for the 17-year-old version of myself. Well, so let's put Virgil into... Um, let, let, let's 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 talk about Virgil style. So Virgil style technically is like if you put Basquiat onto fabric. That's basically what it would be, right? It's Basquiat onto fabric, and that's kind of what his intention was with a lot of things. Like he took the seventeen-year-old version of himself and put it into his art. But um, yeah, I, I I'm that goes without saying, right? I did have problems with Virgil Abloh, and. I think a lot of people did, right? He he honestly was not only extremely popular and ex- extremely like influential, he also had some problems. Like he was, he was, it was problematic. It was problematic like when it came to the BLM stuff, that was a little problematic. The fact that like he's a creative director of Louis Vuitton and 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 like, you know, um off-white and he didn't really have no black people under him was like, bro, like the fuck. Then again, when you think about it, it's like, oh, I'm the master, and all these white people under me are my slaves. Like, <laughs> don't, don't, don't listen to me. I'm terrible. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking terrible. So, <laughs> ah, I gotta recover. So, aside from being chief executive officer of his own label, Off White. Abloh was the first black man to be named creative director for Louis Vuitton men's fashion collection. In addition to being a transformational creative, um, he was a force in the fashion world. Abloh was also a creative force on the turntables as a DJ and as a furniture designer, bruh. Uh, what? His creativity and vision were endless. The New York Times wrote of him saying, Ablo transformed not just what consumers wanted to wear, bridging hypebeast culture and the luxury world, but what brands wanted in a designer and the meaning of fashion itself. Man, CEO of Louis Vuitton, Bernard, Bernard Arnault, um, shared the following statement. We are all shocked by this terrible news. Virgil was not only a genius designer and visionary, 
He was also a man with a beautiful soul and great wisdom. The LVMH family joins me in this moment of great sorrow, and we are all thinking of his loved ones on the passing of their husband, father, brother, son, and friend. Born to Ghanaian immigrants, Ablo grew up in Rockford, Illinois. Nigga, Rockford, Illinois. Okay, so I got something to say about Rockford, Illinois, and y'all can fight me. Fight me, bitch. So... <laughs> Rockford, Illinois is the most grimy-ass, isolated-ass city that you ever have seen. You sit here like, how is Rockford, like, it's away from all the shit in Chicago. And and you like, well, damn, Rockford is violent for no reason. Like, <laughs> you be sitting here like, Rockford, like, you like, nigga, this is in the middle of Illinois. <laughs> Nowhere. Like, niggas. Okay, so, <laughs> let me stop. Let me stop. So, he was greatly influenced by hip-hop and skate culture. He went on to receive his undergraduate degree in civil engineering from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a master's degree in architecture from the Illinois Institute of Technology. He had no formal training in fashion, but what he didn't know from, or, 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 or I'm sorry, but what he did know from the trade was they, he watched his mother, who was a seamstress. So, at 22, Ablo met Kanye West and joined his creative team. It was West who became instrumental in Ablo's introduction to Louis Vuitton. The world, or they would, eventually intern together <laughs> for six months at Fendi, allowing them both to understand the fashion world from a product and production point of view outside of their consumer knowledge. It was the beginning of an amazing collaborative relationship that had Ablo most recently designing the stage for Wes and Jay-Z's Watch the Throne tour. Also, he designed album covers, right? So the two most prominent album covers that come to mind for me are Watch the Throne and also My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West, um, which had five album covers. If you did not buy like the physical copy, back then, I, niggas were still buying physical copies. It was five interchangeable album covers, and they were all dope. All dope. I still think that album cover, to me, like, you have to buy that album physically. If you have to buy the physical copy, whether it be vinyl, whether it be the CD, it is very, it's a very, very beautiful piece of art. Um, and that's what Ablo did. Um, like I said, I have problems with Ablo, but I'm I'm gonna be honest. He was a visionary artistically, and yeah, like I don't know how Off White is even gonna like. How's Off White gonna do this shit, bro? Like <laughs> I'm sitting here like, how's Off White gonna do this shit? Like Off White has been the innovative like forefront when it comes to collaborations, when it comes to. Um, just outside of the box thinking when it comes to not only sneakers but fashion as a whole um, and streetwear um, but his last shoe funny, funny enough his last shoe when he was alive um, that was released was the off-white Jordan 2 Low if anybody knows anything about sneakers, Jordans any, any anything like that those are the least popular Jordan ever Nobody likes Jordan 2s. Um, but he made that shoe desirable again. People were like, man, it, like the creative amount of like 
it's like the the wave behind him. He'll take a shoe that don't nobody give a fuck about and make it popular again. Like niggas are gonna be buying Jordan twos in droves now because they're like, hey man. I ain't fuck with that shoe before, but what that nigga did to it, man, it fucked everything up, me. Like, it just is that, it's that effect. Um, It's the Virgil Abloh effect or the off-white effect. Um, And I see, like, like and honestly, the nigga put, like, the little, you know, the little tags around there. You know, the colors are different. He has it looked in, like, it's pre-aged. Um, And honestly, probably the most influential shoe probably... I'm going to say of the last decade, right, is that off-white Jordan 1 Chicago. That is, like, the pinnacle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The pinnacle. It, and out of non-Jordans, it would be the off-white MCA Jordan. <laughs> I said off-white MCA Jordan. I said non-Jordan. Off-white um, MCA Air Force One by Nike, right? So it's like that blue, but with that silver swoosh and the little tag on it. Yeah, like... It's funny how he used minimalism, but also he completely reconstructed things. And that's what made people go like, yo, this is amazing. This is crazy. And his shit was already reselling for thousands of dollars. Now it's going to probably resell for like tens of thousands of dollars. So there's that because that's how that's how that resale culture works. Um, But yeah, Virgil Abloh, that, that just... That'd be hitting niggas like a, a ton of bricks. Um, you know, a sack full of nickels. But yeah, that that one's crazy. I was just hitting niggas out of nowhere. Like, what? This nigga's in his prime. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? This nigga's in his prime. He, he can't die yet. You know, it's, it's crazy. But niggas be dying out here, bro. And you just never know what people be going through, man. Like, he suffered he chose to suffer in silence. Um, as opposed to kind of, you know, being public about things and everybody be like, well, you know. Da, da, da. You know, we gotta, yeah, yeah. You know, it's different. So, just never know what people are going through. So, um, to our next segment, all three suspects found guilty in murdering Ahmad Arbery. Yes, you heard correct. That motherfucker's guilty. 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 That motherfucker's that motherfucker guilty. <laughs> motherfucker got that guilty. <laughs> <laughs> that motherfucker's guilty. <laughs> that motherfucker's. I love that shit. That shit hit me so hard, bro. Like, <laughs> oh, courtesy of Associated Press. <laughs> that motherfucker's guilty. <laughs> Three men charged in Ahmaud Arbery's death convicted of murder. Brunswick, Georgia. Three men were convicted of murder Wednesday in the killing of Ahmaud Arbery. The black man who was running empty-handed through a Georgia subdivision when the white strangers chased him, trapped him on a quiet street, and blasted him with a shotgun. The February 2020 slaying drew limited attention at first. But when the video of the shooting leaked online, 
Aubrey's death quickly became another example in the nation's reckoning of racial justice in the way black black people are treated in their everyday lives. Now the men all face a mandatory sentence of life in prison. The judge will decide whether their sentences are served with or without the possibility of parole. Just make sure they never get out. As the first of 23 guilty verdicts were read, Aubrey's father had to leave the courtroom after leaping up and shouting. Mm. So, (laughs) after the reading of the last criminal count, Aubrey's mother dropped her head and quietly pumped her fist. He didn't do nothing but run and dream, Marcus Aubrey Sr. said of son. Outside the courthouse, Dozens of black supporters hugged and cried. The jury deliberated for about 10 hours before convicting Greg McMichael, guess the race, son Travis McMichael, guess the race harder, and neighbor William Roddy Bryan. You don't need to guess that race. The McMichaels grabbed guns and jumped in a pickup truck to pursue the 25-year-old Aubrey after seeing him running outside the Georgia port city of Brunswick. Brian joined the pursuit in his own pickup truck and recorded the cell phone video of Travis McMichael fatally shooting Aubrey. (laughs) As I read that, I just morphed into a redneck. Sorry. The father and son told police they suspected Aubrey was a fleeing burglar, but the prosecution argued that the men provoked the fatal confrontation and that there was no evidence Aubrey committed any crimes in the neighborhood because white people. We commend the courage and bravery of this jury to say that what happened on February 23rd, 2020 to Ahmaud Aubrey, the hunting and killing of Ahmaud Aubrey, it was not only morally wrong, but legally wrong. And we are thankful for that, said Latanya Hines, Cobb County Executive Assistant District Attorney. Prosecutor Lena Dunikowski added, the jury system works in this country. And when you present the truth to people and they see it, they will do the right thing. Can't say the same for fucking Kyle Rittenhouse. Fuck his whole entire asshole. I hope he never get a job. And I hope he step on gum that morphs into a gigantic pile of dog shit that he can't ever stop smelling for the rest of his life. Fuck his ass. Fuck his feelings. I don't give a fuck about his crying ass on television. You a bitch. You will forever be a bitch. And I hope you get treated like a bitch. Bitch. Travis McMichael, 35, stood for the verdict. His lawyer's arm around his shoulder. At one point, he lowered his head to his chest. After the verdicts were read, as he stood to leave, he mouthed love you to his mother in the courtroom gallery. How disgusting. Greg McMichael, 65, hung his head when, like y'all used to hang niggers. <laughs> I'm going to hell, bro. I <laughs> hung his head when the judge read his first guilty verdict. Brian, 52, bit his lip. Bitch. <laughs> I don't be giving no fucks. Speaking outside the courthouse, 
Ben Crump. They should not let this nigga speak. I'm sorry. Ben Crump, I know what he's doing as a civil rights lawyer, but he's a civil rights lawyer that cannot speak. He 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 talks terribly and is an embarrassment sometimes. Cause I'm like, nigga, you don't know none of these niggas' names. You don't know how to say shit right. Bro, like you be fucking up, bro. But like he, he has the worst voice of all time. If he had to be an attorney, damn. <laughs> did he have to be an attorney? Could he just be like co-counsel? Be one of them niggas just sitting like next to him? It's like, yeah, I did all the lawyering too. I don't know. Shit. Anyway, <laughs> I be feeling some. I be feeling some type of way about it, nigga. But um, attorney for Aubrey's father repeatedly said that the spirit of a mod defeated the lynch mob. Aubrey's mother, Wanda Cooper Jones, thanked the crowd gathering for the verdict and she said that she didn't think she'd actually see this day wow um i'm gonna stop there because it's a long ass article and um this shit is heavy like it, it always is heavy but i had to talk shit about kyle rittenhouse so you know he should just change his name to kyle ritten bitch because he always gonna be a bitch um so <laughs> Bitch ass That motherfucker is guilty <laughs> That motherfucker is guilty Okay That motherfucker is guilty That motherfucker's 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 guilty Hey, 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 Guilty, I say. <laughs> oh, man. On to the next story. And y'all niggas is like, damn. We got another one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's another death, y'all. Malika Shabazz found dead in Brooklyn. Courtesy of CBS News. Ah, man. All right. So, I'm going to read into this shit. And I'm going to see how y'all feel about this. Cause um and 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 write an email into the show about this one, or you know uh, leave a voicemail about this one because I don't know. I don't know. This this is weird. So Malika Shabazz, the daughter of slain civil rights leader Malcolm X, was found dead in her apartment Monday. The NYPD confirmed to CBS News Shabazz was found by her daughter at this point. Her death is not considered suspicious. Police say. CBS New York reports that her daughter found her unconscious at about 5 p.m., according to police. Shabazz, 56, was one of the twins born to Betty Shabazz after Malcolm X was killed, Bernice King tweeted late Monday. King is the youngest child of slain civil rights icon Martin Luther King. Oof. So let's read deeper. Let's read deeper here. So the news comes just days after a New York Supreme Court judge exonerated the two two of the three men convicted of killing Malcolm X in 1965. I was almost going to talk about that last week, but I kind of just let it go. Um, judge Ellen Biden's decision followed a two-year investigation by Manhattan's district attorney that determined Muhammad A. Aziz 83 years old, and the late Khalil Islam were wrongfully convicted. 
In the five decades since Malcolm X's death, Shabazz and her siblings had questioned the official narrative of the assassination and the role of government agencies playing in this entire assassination of Malcolm X. Malcolm X had six children total. Wow. Um, that is crazy. Like, everything connected to Malcolm X has been tragic. Like, when you think about what happened to Betty Shabazz, you know, and, and now, now Malika Shabazz, like, this is crazy. I don't know, man. I need more developments. This shit is just like, it sounds like it's way more than people are leading it on like to to be like think about this she was like hey the government did this shit all of a sudden when you know the the supposed killers of malcolm x were freed she dies the next week i don't know that's a little odd to me man um i i don't want to like infer too deep on this here I, all i know is that this shit is really really strange so um on that note, um, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We bike niggerillos. So, <laughs> some local news for y'all. Um, statewide database on public use of force in North Carolina won't be public. Am I surprised? Hell the fuck now. Anyway, so Raleigh, North Carolina incidents in which police officers kill or injure someone in North Carolina are going to be recorded statewide for the first time in a database, but the information will not be made available to the public. Interesting. I mean, but anyway, WRA reports Sunday that the North Carolina General Assembly, I have feelings about them people, <laughs> authorized the database earlier this year as a part of legislation for police reform. I mean, is this fully reform? Like, man, okay. Cat, bag, two separate things right now. I'm letting it out. Um, <laughs> I used to work for entities similar to this, um, if you will. And I just know that sometimes individuals may possibly, potentially, sort of fudge these numbers, okay? You're dealing with a database with, like, a database of incidents in, in which police officers are actually killing or really fucking terribly injuring people and that's basically not gonna be handled by an entity that is outside of them like it's, it's not like internal affairs or nothing like it's just like yeah um 
we gonna yeah we gonna tell them yeah we gonna make it um uh database <laughs> it's a database and we're gonna upload all the video to our database and we will determine if 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 the person had a legal use of force most of the time if you give the evidence to a person who committed the crime they're probably going to manipulate it in some type of way doesn't matter whether you're a person who's in law enforcement or an actual criminal on the street quote unquote which honestly depending on the situation it's not that much of a difference <laughs> oh, okay so uh Police reform advocates have been pushing for the database to be made public for reasons of transparency and accountability. But you know that if you ask for something, right, that's absolutely too good to be true, you're only going to get like a portion of that because they're like, nah, 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 we're not going to make that public. We're going to have to change some stuff before we can make it public. Oh, they're beating a nigger. Well, we'll have to just show maybe one cop beating that nigger. And we'll just make sure that 10 niggers are not beating that same guy. <laughs> you know, we got to fudge the data. Man, ain't this about a bitch. <laughs> ain't this about a bitch. Uh, it's like before they even do it, they're guilty. Like before the shit is even given to anybody, that shit is guilty. It's like that motherfucker's guilty. That motherfucker's guilty. That motherfucker's guilty. Before they even do it. That motherfucker's guilty. That motherfucker's guilty. Hell yeah. That motherfucker's guilty. He's guilty. That motherfucker's 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 guilty. That Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. That's my third time. I'm done. Um, <laughs> I don't be giving a fuck, bro. Like, <laughs> oh man. Okay, so some more local news. Because why the fuck not? Some black students say that they're being racially bullied in Johnston County schools. Oh boy. Courtesy of the News and Observer. I already know what y'all gonna say. It's Johnston County. I'm like, yeah, it's Johnston County. I'll be a bitch. <laughs> I'll be a bitch on Tuesday. <laughs> I'll be a bitch on Monday. Hell, fuck it. Uh, so some community groups and families are charging that black students in Johnston County schools are being racially bullied by white classmates. It, by the way, to put this into perspective, it's like very close county to where I live. So, yeah. Concerns about racially motivated bullying first became public in late October after videos emerged of white students at Princeton High School taunting black classmates with Trump 2024 and Blue Lives Matter flags. These motherfuckers are neither police officers or can vote. So what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> what the fuck are we doing? Oh, since then... Other videos have appeared on social media of white students at several Johnson, Johnson County schools using the N-word and other racial epithets. So, 
the Johnston County NAACP and the African American Caucus of the Johnston County Democratic Party have called for a meaningful review of Johnston County public schools policies relating to racism and bullying. What we want is to make this community aware of the issues going on in the schools. Dr. Getty Cohen, Getty's Cohen, president of the Johnston County NAACP said in an interview. There's a history of racism in this country. Yeah. It's, it's like the entire like history of this country, but no one wants to ever say that. <laughs> um, the school district says it's taken the allegations very seriously. But I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm like, are y'all? Johnston County is North Carolina's seventh largest school district with around 37,000 students. The district is 52% white, 26% Hispanic, and 16% black. To put that into perspective, there are three white people for every black person. So there it is. It is important to both our superintendent and all JCPS staff to foster a climate that includes respect for others. The district said in a statement, we appreciate our staff and community partners working together to ensure that our schools are a welcoming and harmonious place for all. But you know that shit ain't go really happy. But you know, black student told uh, black student told to pick cotton. That that happened. So until recently, Brooklyn Edwards was a 15-year-old sophomore at Princeton High School, about 40 miles east of Raleigh. Her mother, Kalani Moses told ABC 11, the News and Observer's media partner, that she pulled her daughter from the school due to repeated racial bullying by white students. Edwards told ABC 11 that videos showing white students waving Trump and Blue Lives Matter flags in front of black students were just some examples of racial tensions. A charge she repeated at a school board meeting this month why <laughs> ah the whites <laughs> I, I literally could create a poem today and it could be just like me saying the whites thank you and walking the fuck away and it would be fucking art <laughs> you kidding me oh my god wow all the motherfuckers guilty god <laughs> so it gets a little weird here. I'm going to go into some sports. And um, it's about a tennis player. A Chinese former tennis player by the name of Peng Shui. I have like a like a NPR piece on this. It's about five minutes. Um, and I think they explain it in the best way possible. Because, uh, yeah, I'm just like, man. It's been more than three weeks since Chinese tennis star Peng Shui disappeared. That after she accused a former Chinese Communist Party leader of sexual assault. The tennis star resurfaced in videos and images released last weekend by the Chinese government. She was seen laughing with children at a sports tournament and in another video chatting awkwardly over a meal. The Chinese released a statement that authorities said was made by her saying she was fine, but Peng has made no direct statements. 
Some experts aren't convinced of Peng Shui's well-being and think her disappearance is another sign of Beijing tightening its authoritarian grip over Chinese affairs. Yan Bennett has written extensively on the rule of law in China. She's a former U.S. diplomat and is currently the assistant director of the Center on Contemporary China at Princeton University. Hmm. Yan Bennett, welcome. Hi, David. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start with those videos of Peng that were released last weekend. How convinced are you that Peng Shui is safe? Um, not at all. <laughs> um, so this is very typical of the Chinese government is to disappear someone who's been critical of the Chinese government. Um, the statements that she's made seem to be coerced and manipulated. Um, so I would say that this isn't any guarantee of her safety. You recently wrote a piece about this for the website, The Conversation, and it, you argued that this disappearance serves as yet another vivid example of China's authoritarian control. Why so? Well, so I, I've said before that China rules by law rather than rule of law. It's when the government uses legal procedure as a weapon against the people. Mm. Um, a common mm -hmm. example is corruption. It's endemic Absolutely. in China. Everyone says you have to commit corruption to get anything done. Absolutely. But whenever someone becomes a political enemy, then that person is hit with a corruption charge. Oh, it's not shit. because it happened, but because it was politically motivated. In this situation, uh, she's been, we call it, disappeared by the Chinese government. But, you know, in, in legal terms here in the U.S., we would call this false imprisonment and kidnapping, right? Because, you know, yeah. she's now become a political enemy of the government. Yeah. In the last few years, we've seen Beijing tighten its grip in areas it controls and those over which it seeks greater influence. Take Hong Kong, treatment of the Uyghurs in the West, and maneuvers in the South China Sea. Why is China cracking down now of all times? Um, so there are two theories about this. There's the one, I think most people are aware of this. It's the neo-realist, you know, China is countering American hegemony and it's seeking hegemony. global leadership. So um, it's doing this in order to assert its international leadership. Yeah. The other theory, which is relatively new, is mm. that um, China is now on the decline. It's reached its peak in terms of economic development. Yeah. And so uh, two scholars, they wrote in the foreign policy and foreign affairs that, you know, China will behave in dangerous and unpredictable ways because now it's fighting for international global leadership. Oh, in shit. speaking with one of my colleagues, you said that this was in some ways the Gabby Petito case of China. Yeah. Uh, Gabby Petito, of course, uh, disappeared, turned out to have been killed. Uh, and while a terrible tragedy was also the subject of much commentary over how, you know, young white women in America get much more attention for disappearance or violence than uh, those of other races yep. or ages. Why'd you make that comparison? Well, um, so... Peng, she's an internationally known sports figure, so this was made known to the entire world. But this happens every day. There are millions of Uyghurs who have been jailed and um, being detained in mass detention centers in Xinjiang for their religious beliefs and for their ethnicity. This is happening in Hong Kong. The, the people protesting in Hong Kong are just average citizens, and they're not being heard. So that's why I compared it to Gabby Petito. You know, she captured the American imagination. You mentioned she was white and blonde and, you know, she was on this van life adventure, right? And it captured the American imagination. And this has captured the American imagination. But, you know, we should not forget that this is happening every day in China. And there are human rights abuses happening in China that we can't overlook. Before we let you go, put on your diplomat's hat for a moment. 
How should the U.S. move forward with a China that is, according to your analysis, tightening its grip on power in so many troubling ways? Um, so the U.S. Congress, um, they've spoken out against what China is doing in Xinjiang by deeming uh, its actions there as uh, potentially genocide. Yeah. The White House has spoken out saying that they might uh, diplomatically boycott the Olympics by not sending any uh, government officials to attend. The European Union, for example, they uh, signed a, a trade agreement with, with China, but they did say something about what what's happening in Xinjiang, and it all movement on that trade agreement has stopped. Um, those are the kind of signals we need to send to China that, you know, if we disapprove of what it's doing, we need to follow up with actual actions and deeds. We've been hearing from Yan Bennett of the Center on Contemporary China at Princeton University. Yan Bennett, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I just want to expand on this because they brought up the cap, the Gabby Petito case. And for obvious reasons, I did not talk about that case because it exactly brought up reasons that I did not want to talk about that case. They literally were like, hey, um, white girl missing. Everybody was so worried about this white girl that's missing. And honestly, it also speaks to the like the 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 the, the pung the pung shui case like it's <sighs> with the gabby petito case right black people went missing in dc when i lived there every single day it was a black girl going missing every single day i did not hear anything even on our local news in that area happen and and all of a sudden someone who is of prominence who is of power goes missing something bad happens to them it's almost as like all of the attention was going to be there anyway right um it's crazy because um keep that same energy media you know and that's how you feel you want the media to keep that same energy with everybody but it's because the gaze of america is not only white but more fair-skinned um and they look at figures who look a certain way and they focus on the attention towards that one. Now, all of this is tragic, by the way. Like, punk, punk, punk situation is, like, really bad. It's, it's really bad. It's really awful. And it shows how an entire country with an entirely different governmental structure is creating, is, is, is committing UN atrocities against someone just for speaking out about something that really did happen you know like them being sexually assaulted by a government official and of course in a country that is ruling by government like government is everything it rules everything your television everything like the how the message gets out everything that gets relayed to people is all censored that's how they do it they censor you as a person showing up you can't show up in public you know you could be in prison you begin tortured you could be anything you can think of terrible things could be happening to this person and you don't know because they basically blocked you from even knowing about like their whereabouts entirely um but yeah like i noticed like npr loves to like bring up little nuances like that little wrinkles in in the story 
Um, but yeah, um, like like I said before, it was it was so many black women going missing in these areas, um, and they would be like, yeah, so this white girl goes missing, and I'm like, but it is so many girls being sex trafficked out here. You know, I live in a state where sex trafficking is absolutely probably the largest in the nation. And you know why no one knows that? It's because it's not reported. And it's mainly people of color, more specifically black women that are part of this. But, you know, um, that's me on my soapbox. I'm going to get off my soapbox and let's talk about some positive things with black women because it'd be sad. It'd be a sad podcast. I won't be happy up here. Let's make a happy podcast because... Black women out here achieving great things. First black-owned women's resort, courtesy of Black Enterprise. (laughs) This is my last article, and it is, of course, a black-owned business. The Genesis House, Arizona's first black woman-owned resort to be a center of luxury for black women. Wellness enthusiast Genesis Lefocard is opening Arizona's first black woman-owned wellness resort and spa, the Genesis House. Lefocard was... Inspired to establish the luxury 13-room destination resort after beginning her wellness journey as a consumer, she was introduced to holistic healing at a local shop, then attended various retreats, which she considered life-changing, the grill reported. On her journey, the creative director took note of the lack of representation in Arizona's wellness space. I just think there is nothing like this when you can be in this type of environment that's created by a black woman, um, LaFocard told the Grio. I looked into the hospitality world and less than 1% of black women own hotels. And so that was really like a giant light bulb. LaFocard is infusing her Afro-Asian background into the healing culture at Genesis House. Her grandmother, who's Chinese, migrated to Jamaica. In comparison, her grandfather is Trinidadian with a French background. Raised in a military family, she has traveled to Europe and Asia. I feel like a lot of resorts just take from different cultures, not really fully representing it, Lafocard said. I wanted to influence a lot of my background. I was born in England. I was raised in Okinawa, Japan. I got to be part of a lot of different cultures, and so I'm excited to infuse that that because I feel like especially African cultures are never represented anywhere. She continued, and there's so many healing therapies and different types of tea bags and ingredients that originated from Africa and that I want to be delivered to our guests. You're not going to ever be able to experience so many cultures in one house. Visitors are in for a refreshing multicultural experience. The Genesis House will offer deep soaking baths in the rooms, healing instructors, 24-7 access to yoga and Pilates, in-room meditation, gardens close by for farm-to-table eats, a Nordic spa, and an all-inclusive private culinary program. LaFocard was intentional about providing an experience that fits all types of people because Wellness means something different to each person. Wellness is anything. It could be just you being in a different environment by being in nature. Like if you don't do crystals, that's totally fine, she said. 
But it's so much more than just like, oh, you have to do yoga. Maybe yoga is not for you. Sometimes yoga is not for everybody. People don't find peace in that. Maybe people just find peace in being alone and being in a room by yourself and just doing nothing for a solo retreat. Today's world can be tricky to navigate, but Life of Card believes there are many ways to remain empowered. I know there's a lot that we can't control, especially today, but you can control your environment and your settings and the things that you have that you have with you, what you're putting into your body, she said. The Genesis House will open in late 2022 or early 2023. And on that note, that is the episode. Support black businesses. And as always, thank you. Yo, my man, why you got on that purse, huh? I ain't no fucking purse. I'm the big dilf, don't do that. Hell no, I'll put your own in the bit at, you heard? Get your money up, not your fun, you Big fucking move. Fuck out of here. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. I wasn't expecting her to fuck somebody else. So when I got back with her the other day, she dropped the bomb on me. I said, did you have sex with anybody else by the 10 days we wasn't with each other? She said, yeah, I did. You're a fucking slut. You're a slut. And if it wasn't because of me being a stand-up dude, I would have had you mock her ass up and put her the fuck away. Goddamn, 10 days? Ten days.